I am so excited and so honored to be part of this uh, point in history. And I, I think what's really important is that we are modeling and showing women and young girls in the state that you have a path to be in a leadership role. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. When the Vermont Legislature convenes on January 6th, Representative Jill Krowinski from Burlington is poised to be confirmed as Speaker of the House. She will succeed Mitzi Johnson, who lost her bid for re-election in the November 3rd general election. Jill Krowinski was first elected to the legislature in 2012. She is currently the House Majority Leader. When not in the legislature, she is Executive Director of Emerge Vermont, an organization that recruits and trains female Democratic candidates to run for political office. She previously worked as Chief of Staff to former Speaker Gay Symington. Krowinski will become just the fourth woman to serve as Speaker of the Vermont House of Representatives, the others being Mitzi Johnson, who served since 2016, Gay Symington, the Speaker from 2005 to 2009, and long before that, Consuela Bailey, who served as Speaker from 1953 to 1955. House Speaker-elect Jill Krowinski, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thanks so much for having me. I thought we'd start by just, um, if you could uh, introduce yourself and tell a little of your story, how you came to Vermont and came to politics. Oh, thanks. That's a big question. Uh, it's it's interesting how um, my path in moving to Vermont actually weaves into where I am today um, as the Democratic nominee for Speaker of the House. Uh, when I graduated from college in 2002, I was looking for um, something meaningful to do before going to grad school. And, and, a friend and of just mine, so our listeners know, you were at the University of Pittsburgh is where you got your bachelor's. That's right. Hey. Uh, I majored in urban um, studies and political science. And I would was planning to go to graduate school for um, urban planning and community development. And a friend of mine said, oh, you should just work on a campaign somewhere in the U.S. It would be great experience for you. You're talking about doing community development. You'll learn about this thing called grassroots organizing and you'll love it. And I had some apprehension because I didn't see myself as a political person. I thought I was very much um, a volunteer just doing community development um, and making that to be my job in the future. Uh, so after some coaxing, I, I agreed to try it out. And I joined this organization called 21st Century Democrats that trains um, uh, students right out of college, kind of like AmeriCorps, but the Democratic Party AmeriCorps to train um, young Democrats how to run grassroots campaigns. And they said, all right, where do you wanna go? And I saw Vermont on the list and Vermont was on the list because the Vermont House had lost the Democratic majority because of civil unions and they were fighting to win the majority back. And I just thought that story was so incredible that there were legislators who voted their conscience knowing that it would cost them their seat and they cast that vote. And I thought, wow, like those, if that's their values there, uh, that's a place I wanna, I wanna go. So I moved um, from Pittsburgh to Springfield, Vermont. And, and that was your only connection to Vermont prior to that? That's right. Just yep. thinking that the politics were something you admired. That's right. Yep. And so it was a little bit of a shift. Um, 
after living in Pittsburgh for four years, moving to Springfield, but I just fell in love Vermont, in love with Vermont and the work that we were doing. And so I decided that I was going to stay in Vermont and not go to go to graduate school. And I uh, stayed involved with the Democratic Party and uh, with uh, working alongside of Gay Symington, uh, we won back the House um, and I went on to work for her as her chief. At that time, it was the assistant to the Speaker of the House. So I got to be there um, when Gay Symington was Speaker working in that office. And then uh, later on, um, I went on to work um, in on a couple different campaigns and thought it was time to move to a policy area Given the shift I was seeing across the United States when it came to reproductive health, I thought um, that would be a good place to put my energy. And uh, I ended up working at Planned Parenthood um, of Northern New England for about almost eight years. And um, it was an incredible experience. And I think that that work in understanding the policy around healthcare and um, how Planned Parenthood is really um, the, the only place of healthcare for so many people in our state um, and the importance of, of growing um, access to healthcare. So I uh, was really moved by my work there, which made sense for me to serve on the Human Services Committee when I was appointed to the House in 2012 by Governor Peter Shumlin. And uh, from there, the rest is history. <laughs> so you've had the unusual um, distinction of, as you mentioned, you served as the aide to Speaker Gay Symington. You were on the leadership's team for Speaker Shap Smith and for Speaker Mitzi Johnson. That's right. What did you learn from each of them? Wow, that is a great question. You know, I think with Gay she she had a lot of self-reflection and strategies about how to hold the space in the room and how she conducted her approach and how thoughtful she was about it. And I really appreciated that. Um, you know, Shap had um, this really great um, attitude of I can I can picture him in the office with this football and just saying, let's let's keep on thinking about it. He would bring a team together and really just you know, work it out in the room, which I appreciated. I thought that was a great way to, you know, bring all the people in the room who know this work and brainstorm it out with, you know, and I just, I really like that bringing people together part. And I, um, that's something that stuck with me. Um, and, and then under Mitzi, my gosh, how much time do we have? You know, she, uh, watching her, tackle how we approached um, governing during COVID on Zoom uh, was incredible. And she thought of every single aspect to how do we make this accessible for Vermonters? How do we get this on YouTube so that they have access to see it? How do we work with reporters during this time? How do we make sure that they're getting what they need? We thought and went through every single part of what it meant to govern um, on Zoom. And so uh, I just take so many lessons from her in preparing us now as we uh, organize for January. So what do you what do you bring to being the speaker, or I should say at this moment, the presumptive speaker, but um, that is highly unlikely to change? Mm -hmm. What qualities do you think will make it um, your own brand? 
Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that as I've been talking with members of my caucus, um, the Democratic caucus and, and members of the other caucuses. And I think what I bring is the ability to keep bring people together, uh, especially while we are governing um, online during a pandemic. I have the experience um, in working in the speaker's office with a speaker and um, I, I have so much respect for the members and the, the custom and the practice of the house. And I'm, you know, as I reflected on that, I just started thinking of all these ideas about how I would approach next steps. You know, I'm really excited to have a virtual listening tour. You know, after the, the vote on the six, if I am elected, um, I wanna meet with Vermonters in every corner of the state to hear about what's working for them and what's not working with them. Um, I'm gonna make sure that people know that I have an open door policy and that they're comfortable to come to me when they have a problem or they wanna pitch an idea. I, I just think now um, in a, this moment of the, of a pandemic, we have to be transparent and communicate really well. And um, those are some of the values that I bring and that my, my approach will be um, as Speaker of the House. So the other uh, entity that you will need to have relationships with is of course the governor. And the picture really emerged in this last year of the uh, Senate president pro tem and the speaker and the governor huddled in a sort of extraordinary fashion, trying to navigate quickly uh, the evolving crisis around uh, COVID. How do you expect that your relationship with the governor will work? Uh, this is a relationship that has been uh, very difficult uh, at times between the speaker and the governor. Um, so give me your assessment of where you think that is now and, and what you anticipate going forward. Well, we're starting a new chapter working together. Um, I got to see and work with the governor a little bit in my role as House Majority Leader. Um, as speaker, I would want to work hand in hand with him and having an open line of communication, no matter what the news is, but that we're communicating well together and that we're finding common ground and, and policies that we can work on to help Vermonters get through this recovery and that we leave no one behind. You know, I think the results of the election showed that Vermonters thought that we were working well together. Um, you know, they reelected him, they reelected a Democratic majority, um, but we all came together. And I, I just have these moments where I think back to um, the, the COVID session and that we rallied, we rallied together um, and across party lines with the governor to pass really critical legislation to help Vermonters out of this pandemic. And so I hope that um, in this new chapter with Senator Ballant and I at the helm, um, that the governor will wanna partner with us and work with us to continue this important work. How do you explain Vermont uh, to people where you have an overwhelming uh, victory by a Republican governor and an overwhelming major Democratic majority uh, reelected to the state legislature? Um, you know, outside of Vermont, it's very typical to think of Vermont as just a liberal state. Uh, but many people don't realize the dynamics that I just described. What accounts for that? Hmm. Well, you know, we are a small state. And, you know, I think that because 
um, Vermonters have such strong access to their local legislators, um, from their legislators to their governor, that it's more about the communication, the results, and uh, being clear about what our goals are and how we're going to achieve them. You know, when I'm talking with new members and, and how to how to set up, you know, their sort of quote unquote legislative office, you know, I say that you're not gonna, what's important is that you get back to your constituents as soon as possible, even if you don't agree with them. So they know why you made that decision and, and to have a, you know, to have a dialogue with them about their position. It's, we're so local and small that we can have space to have those direct conversations. And I think that makes a, a big, a big deal. It makes a big shift. You know, and I go to legislative conferences, um, you know, for the, for several years, I, I, uh, I talk with other legislators who are sometimes surprised at how much um, time we spend together, you know, having, uh, going out for dinner together and it's Dems and Republicans and independents and progressives. And we're not huddled in different corners, but we're hanging out together and really building those relationships. And I think that's really, really important. And I, um, I always recommend that. I was like, try, try dinner together, um, because opening up that dialogue and relationships really do make a difference. Hmm. Um, so in terms of these uh, majorities and sort of the shifting balances, the uh, Democrats and progressives have lost their supermajority that they once enjoyed, which is defined as having 100 votes or more in the 150 seat legislature. So I believe it's 92 Democrats and seven progressives. Is that the? That's correct. How is that going to change? The fact that you don't have a veto-proof majority, how will that change how you govern, how you lead? Well, I guess I will say that, you know, when we were talking about our legislative agenda, we're not, I am not looking for bills um, on the mission of a veto and an override. I don't think that's good governing. I think um, as we approach this session in particular, it's really important that we're all working together since we're governing on Zoom again, and we're putting a strong plan of action to beat this virus, um, and Vermonters need us to work together. You know, I'll say that um, the overrides that we have had have not only included um, votes from progressives and Democrats, but also independents. And independents have five votes. There's five independents serving in the House. So, you know, if there is going to be a coalition that overrides a governor's veto, it's going to be by a diverse political group of people. Um, but like I said, I, I want us to be starting from a place of what can we do together to find consensus on. And there's going to be disagreement. That's normal and that's healthy. Um, but I think it's important that we're starting from the place of what can we do to get through this pandemic together. In your speech, uh, accepting the nomination to be speaker, you said that Democrats, quote, must come together with a plan of action to beat the COVID-19 pandemic. What do you think that plan of action has to include? I think it's incredibly important that it includes an eye on social equity and justice that we are truly leaving no Vermonter behind as we build this recovery plan together. And I'm hearing, you know, different aspects of what that looks like across the state. For some people, 
um, that's access to broadband. For others, it's it's childcare, and um, for others, it's housing. And um, it's just really important that as we build this plan, that we are getting a real uh, diversity of input and ensuring that um, we learn from what worked during the last COVID session. We invested millions and millions and millions of dollars into programs. And I think it's gonna be really important to come back and say, all right, what worked well for Vermonters? What, do we, what should we keep on doing? What didn't work well and how can we adjust it? What do you view, I mean, this is going to be an extraordinary session by any measure. What looms largest to you uh, as the challenge uh, that is really kind of a day one focus? I mean, to me, it it is just building this plan to beat the virus. I, you know, as we look at this surge um, that we are in right now and knowing that we have another holiday ahead of us, uh, I am deeply concerned about what um, our status looks like around COVID in the next month from now. We know we're going to be starting the session right in the zone following um, the holiday season at the end of December. And so um, I think that is something that we have to, that, that is what keeps me up at night <laughs> is what are, um, what plan can we pull together? Because it's unclear what will happen with this, the stimulus, with the recovery bill out of Washington. And that will play that what they pass will have a deep impact on how we build our plan moving forward. Um, and there's uh, so many question marks about that bill right now, the timing, what's in it. Um, and so it's a, it's a big question mark. And just to underscore that point, uh, most of the big relief programs end at the end of December. That's so, right. that's <laughs> I mean, that's really incredible when you think about the long food lines that Vermonters were in to pick up a bulk food distribution when you think about, you know, the numerous issues that are uh, scenes yeah. of struggle that we've seen, what help that there's been all comes to an end at the end of December. How does the state of Vermont pick up that slack? Well, I, that is a really good question. There's been a lot of work happening in the interim with, um, looking at what recovery money we have left and how that's getting out the door at the end of the month. Um, You know, we're keeping in close contact with our federal delegation to understand the timing of this bill. Uh, We do have a budget adjustment process um, that will, you know, starts us off early um, in looking at how we can shift resources to help in the pandemic. But yeah, I mean, that is a great question. This is this is a big hurdle for us to face, and it's going to be really important that we're prioritizing uh, what has the biggest impact for Vermonters right now. You will become uh, just the fourth female to serve as Speaker of the House. How does that, um, what does it mean? What difference does it make to have a woman as the leader of the Vermont State House? Well, and this, I should mention two women since um, Becca Ballant is poised to become the new president pro tem of the Senate. Yeah, well, there's, well, three of us, if you uh, include uh, Lieutenant Governor-elect Molly Gray. Um, I I am so excited and so honored to be part of this uh, point in history. And I, I think 
what's really important is that we are modeling and showing um, women and young girls in the state that you have a path to be in a leadership role and that um, if this is, if, if public policy is exciting to you, which I will note, my 4-H uh, adventure when I was a kiddo was uh, interning in my county legislature. So <laughs> we're out there. Um, and I just think that uh, being able to see uh, women in leadership roles and that people have different leadership styles and that that is okay, uh, it's really, really important. And I was just telling someone earlier today that one of the things I miss about being in the state house is the days when we have girls state or the Girl Scouts come in and uh, walk through the building and, and meet different legislators and people in leadership roles. And my favorite thing to do is to take them into, this, into the house chamber and give them all a chance to stand behind the podium and look out and say, this could be yours if you want it. <laughs> that there is a path for you if this is something that you want to do, that you want to lead. And it's just so special watching their faces and watching them as they stand there looking out smiling. And it just, it's so special to me and I miss that so much. But once we get back, I hope we'll be able to do that and uh, just model for them that, uh, you know, women can serve in any leadership role as well. Now, you've also had a chance to see both women and men uh, be the speaker. As mentioned earlier, you've been on the leadership teams of uh, three different speakers. Do you notice a difference in uh, how, for say, let's say, Shap Smith leads, uh, led, and and how the members responded to him, and how Mitzi Johnson and Gay Symington led, and how the body received them? You know, it's interesting because every speaker has their own leadership style and their own personality and their own way of handling tough situations. I think what I always think about when we're talking about women in, in leadership roles, I think back to Madeline Kunin, who always says, you know, if you're not on the, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And so for me, it'll be important to think about, you know, as we gather around a virtual table, who's not there? Who's missing? Who's impacted by the decisions that we are making? Um, and do they have a voice at this table? And so I would just say that we all have our different ways of doing it. And I think as, as I think about uh, the way I'll be um, leading, that, that thought is going to be important to me. So in addition to everything we've talked about, COVID, a change in leadership, there's the normal everyday stuff of running a state. There's paid family leave that is still unresolved um, and, and as well as many other issues. What of these other issues uh, do you think there will be room to take up and that you think you can advance? So I'll say that we, uh, our De Democratic Caucus and frankly, legislators across the chamber um, shared a lot of the values and goals that the Biden administration had. And so where I am at right now and thinking about planning for this upcoming session, and frankly, the biennium is wh where, where are the places that the federal government is going to lead under this new administration and where are they not? You know, are they going to take up a paid family um, a family leave um, insurance policy? Are they going to address uh, student debt? You know, there's a lot of what are they going to do about healthcare? So I think in order to do our best work, I want to see um, what direction the Biden administration is going to take and then 
and then learn from that, okay, so if they're going in this direction, then we can go in that direction so that um, we're doing the best we can to support Vermonters together. What is going to be done? Uh, you know, there's been a lot of focus on young people, uh, both the mental health, uh, the educational deficits that may result from the loss of school and the pandemic. Um, what can be done about that? You know, I, I was just talking with a concerned parent the other day about um, the stresses on their child and, and the impact of this. And it is, it is real and parents are feeling it and children are feeling it. And I believe that uh, this is gonna be something that our healthcare committee looks at when we meet up again to say, are there gaps in, in the service structure out there that's not meeting the need and how, what can we do and what does that look like? Um, it's gonna take us being really creative um, given that we are in this pandemic, but it is clear that that is an issue that has just made, um, that's just gotten so incredibly worse because of uh, kiddos not being able to be in school all the time, part-time, hybrid, at home. Uh, it's really difficult. And, um, you know, my, I'm, <laughs> I am sending so much support to all of the families out there who are, are dealing um, with this stress and feel for their children. And it is something that we will have to address when we come back in January. I know that the COVID pandemic is something that's personal for you. You've had a loss in your family, a uh, father-in-law who passed from COVID. How does that inform how you will be leading and how you relate to this issue? Yeah. And my condolences. Thank you for that, David. I, I appreciate it. You know, my family, just like so many other families across the state, have been uh, grieving and so challenged by um, the impact of having a loved one, um, you know, pass from COVID and the tough decisions you need to make about whether you get to say goodbye or not. How do you say goodbye? How do you how do you grieve the loss together as a family when you can't be together? And it's just, it's heartbreaking. And um, my, my thoughts are with all Vermonters who are going through this as well. It is incredibly difficult. And I think as we look to um, the legislative session, you know, I'm carrying those experiences with me um, and knowing that people are, are grieving right now. It's really hard. And just to be mindful that the work that we're doing um, to have their voice included, um, you know, to talk about why it was so important um, to have to have access to PPE, <laughs> um, to be able to say goodbye to a loved one, or what can we do to, to thank and honor our frontline workers, our, our healthcare providers who are exhausted um, but continue to show up to care for patients. And I think um, those stories and those, um, I don't know, I just, I want those voices to be with us in the state house as we work on legislation that will impact everyone as we, as we build a recovery plan to beat this virus. Well, uh, Speaker nominee Jill Kowinski, I wanna thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation this week. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.